In this episode of Scaling Postgres, we talk about faster copy, PSQL variables, backup label, and bad encoding. I'm Creston Jameson, and this is Scaling Postgres, episode 268. All right, I hope you, your friends, family, and coworkers continue to do well. Well, ask and ye shall receive. On last week's episode of Scaling Postgres, I brought up Postgres 16 Beta 1 was released, and they had in the release announcement that copy was 300% faster in some cases. And I was like, what is this? I haven't heard of this enhancement because it's something that I really need. And I asked in again in last week's episode if anyone knew anything about this, well, lo and behold, Lucas's five minutes of Postgres covers this exact topic, so he gets first position this week with his post of how bulk loading with copy can be 300% times faster in Postgres 16 beta 1. And this is from pganalyze.com. And of course, watch the video here. But basically, what he was saying is that there was an announcement in the notes, which is why I couldn't see any reference to copy when I scanned them, to quote, allow more efficient addition of heap and index pages. So this is when you're expanding the size of a file as you're adding data, as inevitably copy does. It allows it to do it much faster. And he discusses how this is something that was kind of a side detour and enhancement they could make along trying to get async IO benefits potentially landing in 17. But the particular bottleneck was related to relation extension locks. So locks that are being placed on the relation on the table while it's being extended. There was a more efficient way to do it, and that's what the patch, or I believe there was two patches, did. Now he says not everyone's going to benefit from this, and it depends on how much you're being held back by this lock. So if you look in pgstat activity, look for the lock weight event extend. And if you're seeing that, presumably this enhancement will be able to allow copy to copy your data faster. So definitely, thank you for this great piece of information and definitely watch this episode or check out this post if you want to learn more. Next piece of content, variables in PSQL, how to use them. This is from Depeche.com. And I actually used PSQL variables this week and I was pulling my hair out trying to figure out some things that this post covers. So if you want to use variables in PSQL, definitely keep this as a reference because this is very comprehensive. He goes in depth on all the different ways that you can set up and use variables. And basically the simplest way to do it is you just use the hyphen V command and you say this variable equals this value. Now he says you can also use set and variable as the longer parameter names. But one thing he also mentions that you should be aware of is that variables don't work when you're trying to just run a command, like if you do hyphen C and pass in a command to PSQL, the variables don't work, which I was pulling my hair out about. He also shows example where you can set based upon a query using GSET, and you can actually set variables in the PSQL session itself. So this is a really comprehensive post of using variables in PSQL. So I would definitely bookmark this and keep it as a reference. Next piece of content, do I really need that backup label file? This is from rhas.blogspot.com. And the backup label file is something that gets created for you automatically when you're using a pg-based backup. But if you use pg-backup-start and pg-backup-stop to do your backup, you need to retain the information that pg-backup-stop returns and write it to a backup label file so that you can have it during the restore. 
Now we said there's some conditions where you won't even need the backup label file. Things will restore without issue. And he goes over instances of where there's some differences, but it really doesn't impact your ability to restore the database. But when you have a lot of activity and multiple checkpoints occurring during the backup, that's where you can run into problems with recovery. And primarily it relates to knowing when to start recovery from. So the backup label file tells Postgres at what point in the wall to start recovery. Otherwise, it relies on the control file, which is not reliable. It can work in some cases, as he's demonstrated here, but it can cause you to run into problems. So definitely you're going to want to retain that backup file if you're using the start-stop backup technique. But if you want to learn more, check out this blog post. Next piece of content, error. Invalid byte sequence. Fix bad encoding in PostgreSQL. This is from cyberduck-postgresql.com. And I have to say... Time zones don't bother me that much. Caching doesn't bother me that much. But bad encoding or encoding problems, those are the bane of my existence. I hate dealing with these types of issues. But this post goes into different encodings and explains it. So basically, there is a server-level encoding that's set at the database at the point of creation, and you can never change it because otherwise you'd corrupt your text strings in the database. There's also a client encoding that you can set when you connect. And what it does is it translates those into the server encoding as it's working with the data. But usually for consistency, I like keeping them the same. But he sets up some test data because, of course, he's going to show you different ways of doing corruption. Now, in the example here, how you can see some of these errors in Postgres is he took a Latin 1 encoding file and tried to load it into Postgres using a UTF-8 encoding. And it actually gives you an error invalid byte sequence for this encoding. So as he says here, this being very strict about data integrity is super good compared to some other database systems he mentions here. So that's good, but you can still get corruption occurring if some of the encodings are similar for characters. Like he switched it to using Latin 1 and it was actually able to insert this UTF-8 encoded data. But if you look at it, it is different than what you would expect in the database. But as long as you pull it out with the same encoding, it'll translate it back fine. But that can still cause you some issues. And then it goes into ways that you can fix bad encoding. And it's basically taking a dump of the data or maybe a copy of the data and copying it back in with correct encodings. So if you want to learn more about encoding, definitely check out this blog post. Next piece of content, PG Bouncer 1.19.1 is released. This is from pgbouncer.org. And this is a minor release, but it fixes, quote, two important bug fixes to avoid rare crashes. And these crashes weren't introduced in 1.18. So again, if you're running 1.18, you'll probably want to upgrade to this as soon as you can. Next piece of content, PostgreSQL for the SQL Server DBA, Transaction Isolation and Table Bloat. This is from softwareandboos.com. And even though it says this is for the SQL Server DBA, it also just means anyone who's relatively new to Postgres. There's not a lot of reference to SQL Server in here. But he talks about Postgres's transaction isolation. And with that, you're definitely going to cover the multi-version concurrency control. And he has a pretty quick points to make with regard to it. Number one, PostgreSQL creates new rows for updates, always. Two, the old rows eventually become dead and their space needs to be cleaned up. Three, the vacuum process frees up the space and keeps tables in tip-top shape. So he doesn't go into the details about that. But four, vacuuming the database and tables is so important that the auto-vacuum daemon should always be running. And five, as part of the auto-vacuum process, the table is analyzed to update statistics. 
Now, of course, if things don't get vacuumed up, you end up with table bloat. So these are too many dead rows in the table that haven't been cleaned up. A lot of times you cannot actually remove the space from the file. And the only way is to rewrite the file by shrinking it. Then it goes into all sorts of different auto vacuum settings and even tuning individual tables for their vacuum settings, again, to keep bloat under control. But definitely check out this blog post if you want to learn more. Next piece of content, SQL 2023 is out. This is from peter.eisentrout.org, and the new standard is out, and he has hyperlinks to all of the different parts of the ISO website. And he says here, quote, note, if you want to purchase a copy, you'd probably only want part two, unless you intend to work in particular areas. So you can check this post out if you want to learn more. Also from peter.eisentrout.org is PostgreSQL compile times. Now, this isn't too Postgres specific. They are compiling Postgres, but it's just interesting to look at the comparison between macOS and Ubuntu and the different compiler versions to see how fast you can make things. And definitely the thing that had the most improvement in performance was doing things in parallel. So specify the number of, I don't know if you use processes or threads to do the compiling. But check this post if you want to learn more about that. Next piece of content, new site, new partman. This is from KeithF4.com, and he's actually the creator of PG Partman. So this is a tool to help you maintain your partitions in Postgres. And this is an announcement for version 5 of PG Partman. And it looks like as part of this release, he's dropping the older trigger-based partitioning. So he's just going to be using the declarative partitioning and helping you keep those tables up to date and remove ones that you no longer need. I haven't personally used PG Partman, but if you're interested in this tool, you can check out this blog post. Next piece of content, PG Backrest SFTP support. This is from pgstef.github.io. If you're interested in learning more about this enhancement, you can check out this blog post. Next piece of content, disaster recovery for PostgreSQL on Kubernetes. This is from Procona.com. And this post is talking about the Procona operator for PostgreSQL that Procona develops. And they're showing you how you can use that for disaster recovery purposes. So if you're interested in that, you can check out this blog post. Next piece of content, SVG images from Postgres. This is from crunchydata.com. They've actually created a library that they're calling pg-svg that is basically just a set of functions that you query against your geospatial data or I think PostGIS data, and it will actually create SVG images for you that then of course you can use on the web. So it looks like they show an example here and show different ways that you can use these new sets of functions. So if you're interested in that, you can check out this blog post. There was another episode of Postgres FM this week. This one was on parallelism, which covers basically all the different parallel operations that you can do in Postgres. So if you're interested in that, you can listen to the audio episode or click to watch the video version. Next piece of content, the Postgres Girl Person of the Week is Carlos Chappie. If you're interested in learning more about Carlos and his contributions to Postgres, definitely check out this blog post. And for the last piece of content, we did have another episode of the Rubber Duck Dev Show this past Thursday afternoon. This one was on the making of Avalon in Dragon Ruby with James Stocks. So we get to talk about James and how he's starting to build his game called Avalon in Dragon Ruby. So if that type of content is of interest to you, we welcome you to check out our show. That does it for this episode of Scaling Postgres. You can get links to all the content mentioned in the show notes. Be sure to head over to scalingpostgres.com where you can sign up to receive weekly notifications of each episode, or you can subscribe via YouTube or iTunes. Thanks.